0: Coming up on a Really Good Enough Parent podcast, I'm looking forward to welcoming my dear old friend, Joe Seeger, to the podcast. Jo is someone I've known for many, many years. She's a trained Montessori teacher, an experienced parent, and someone who I just admire for her way of handling children, raising her own, and um, her dedication to her uh, career as a teacher. So stay tuned, and coming up, Joe Seeger on a Really Good Enough Parent podcast. And welcome to a really good enough parent podcast. My name is Christine Altwees. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And for 30 years, I worked in intercountry and domestic adoption and family counseling. I'm the clinical director at Kona Roots Counseling Center, where our focus is on family systems. And I'm also a mother. I've created a really good enough parent podcast in response to what we see every day in our clinic. Childhood mental health issues are skyrocketing and it doesn't have to be this way. I know that really good enough parenting is a skill we all possess. As a parent myself, I also understand how easy it is to lose sight and to mistrust or panic in the face of a melting down child or an impudent teen. The good news is that you have what it takes to help your child. Take a breath. See your child's innocence. You can do this. This podcast will feature some of the incredible people I've been lucky enough to meet in my life. No two have raised their children the same, and all have done a really good enough job. You'll hear new perspectives on how to handle tough situations. You'll be reminded of how your own parenting takes its cue from childhood. And hopefully, you'll feel invigorated to go do a really good enough job at this most rewarding of all human endeavors. A Really Good Enough Parent podcast is designed to be story time for adults, so thanks for being here with me today. I do appreciate you. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to A Really Good Enough Parent podcast. With me today is my really dear friend, fabulous wife and mother, international bon vivant. Can I say that? Is that a thing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, knitter, baker, sewer, person of many careers, but most importantly, my dear friend, Joe Seeger, um, is a fabulous mom and a licensed teacher. And that's why she's on today to share some of her tips about how she is and has been a really good enough parent. Welcome, Joe. Hello. Thanks for being here all the way from sunny London, England.
1: <laughs> yes, I
0: wish. <laughs> well, it's the middle of the night there, and you're all preparing for a very big day tomorrow.
1: Yes, um, we tomorrow we've got the coronation, and it's due to rain. But then, <laughs> why not? <laughs> it's because London. It's
0: <laughs> so, Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're on this podcast with me today.
1: Okay. Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm 60 years old, just. <clears throat> scary. Um, and um, I have two daughters who are now 28 and 26. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they are more or less, they've left home more or less now. And I have a husband of 30 years. Um, grew up in the 60s. Um, I was the eldest of four children I went away to boarding school at eleven. That was, yeah, that wasn't the best part of my life, I can say. I went away at eleven. I went to a um, it was termly boarding, which meant you went away in at the beginning of term and you didn't really see your parents for six or twelve weeks. It was a convent, so um, that's probably another whole podcast. Mm (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I went uh, for that it's a tricky on my education it does reflect quite through my uh, parenting skills definitely but I went away to school and I um, was probably considered naughty lazy um, trouble um, and it, I made very very good friends they became fam the family you know don't have very good yeah good friends but mm, Educationally wise, I came out with very little. Um, I went straight to um, a school where I learned to become a cordon bleu cook, and I did that for 10 years. Um, I traveled a lot with that. I had some great jobs. I met some great people. It was really, really hard work. And then after about 10 years, I think I just got fed up with the lack of money, the no social life. Um, It suddenly wasn't going anywhere. So I learned to do a quick typing course with the idea of getting into food photography. While I did that course, my boyfriend at the time got posted to Amsterdam. And I thought, well, why not? I'll go to the long and the short. Oh yes, whilst I was in Amsterdam, I had a job in an office, which lasted four years, gave me all the time and money I thought I wanted and then realized (laughs) office work wasn't for me. Um, Then we went to Germany where we started a family. When I came back to England, I knew I had to work and I got involved in Montessori at that point. So I trained um, as a long distance student to be a Montessori teacher. So I worked in a Montessori and um, brought up the children and they do balance and helped both both parenting, being a parent and a teacher complimented it as much as learning to be a teacher and being a parent. they all complimented each other, for me anyway, very much. Um, even when I, the children much older, you then had your experiences to help other parents, which definitely helped with my work. Um, but I gave up after working for about 14 years as a teacher. I gave up a few years ago, and I'm not working now. And my girls have left home. That's a very, very, very rough synopsis of up to now.
0: Right. And all of that, to me, makes you someone who's really primed to give great advice to parents because not only have you raised two girls who are launched now and living happy, successful lives, and by happy and successful, uh, successful meaning they're doing what they want to be doing, they're um, moving towards goals. They're contributing to society, they're fairly content and healthy and happy. Uh, So in my mind, that's huge success. Um, You also have done this really interesting international living um, with your kids, living in England and traveling around all the time, spending time in France. I think one of them went to school in Holland for her university.
1: Both of them have done masters in the Netherlands. Um, One is just on the cusp of finishing just by chance. They both went there to do masters and that definitely helped them with their um, growing up skills. I think. Yeah. So with all this, what are some tips?
0: How did this work so well for you and what did you learn while teaching and parenting that you think other parents should know?
1: Um, Oh, that's a very big question, isn't it? Um, Parenting tips. Well, I think certainly with um, parenting generally, um, I remember when I first met Emily, I was absolutely petrified when they present you this newborn baby. I was petrified that I was going to get it wrong. And. Um, you know, what do you do with this this massive responsibility of a a baby? I mean, I couldn't even change her nappy uh, or diaper, you call them at the beginning. I just ended up in a ball of giggles on the floor because I just didn't know what I was doing. You just, I think you just have to take every day, very slowly, day by day, um, and not get too stressed. I know we all do, but not get too stressed about what's coming. Um, Children teach you as much as you teach them. And I think when you're learning, you just learn from the beginning. I think there's a lot of observation skills during all the different parts of their being. I mean, you're talking about babies to toddlers to little children, young teenagers to older teenagers, young adults. They're all such big, different phases in a in a child's life and you if you look at what how you're going to look at it after a teenager when you're you're presented with a a toddler or a baby you're going to freak out so just don't worry about that stuff there's always you've always got support networks of friends and family around you and you know we all discuss a lot about experiences and how to get around little things Um, I know that living abroad with a baby uh, Emily um, I could never get her to sleep and I had to keep her quiet because we lived in a block of flats and I didn't know what I was doing we had no we had no internet or or experience uh, ways of working uh, sorry had no way of looking into how to deal with the situation I just remember going to another mother literally in a supermarket who I found was English I was so exhausted because this child wouldn't sleep and I had to keep her quiet from crying. And she just sat me down, took me out for a coffee and explained what I was doing wrong because I was doing everything wrong at the time. Um, and you just take step by step and learn and, and, and just relax a little bit and enjoy it. Don't take things too seriously. I know I did sometimes. We all do, but looking back, it's easy to say that.
0: I love that. I love that relaxing and and get to know your children and enjoy it because we work so hard often to become parents. We want to become parents so desperately. And then often when we become parents, we start losing our sense of humor or our joy in the process. And we see our little kids as little enemies or combatants or, you know, (laughs) villains in some cases (laughs) there to make our lives difficult instead of really remembering that we wanted this and we are you know, if we relax, we can really enjoy it. Um, One of the things that we were talking about before we started recording was your childhood. And you alluded a little bit to having to go off to boarding school. Um, I'm curious because you had a a kind of um, childhood that maybe many American listeners wouldn't fully understand. If you can share a little bit about that and um, maybe anything around how your parents parented you, that you either used or decided to toss out when you become a parent, when you became a parent.
1: Okay, well, let me start. Boarding school was something I never thought was there was any other option. Everyone I knew went away to school at 11, girls at 11, boys more at 13. It was normal. Uh, My parents were very Catholic, so in order to get a good Catholic education, and that's all you, you did. There was no option of um, day school. We didn't live near any particularly good day schools. And you had to be very academic to get into the one very good day school, and that certainly wasn't me. But it was more about having a Catholic education. My father went away at age seven. My mother went away as well when she was very young. Um, so they, that's all they knew, and that's all we did. All my brothers and sisters, we all went away to school, and that was what you did. It was really, really tough. I think I cried for almost three years off and on for being homesick. I mean, being homesick when you're young is something very hard. Um, You just have to, you have to just get on with it. And certainly in sort of school I was, the nuns would just say, well, you can go to chapel and pray if you're that homesick. You know, there was no love or affection. I was certainly never surrounded by people who who showed love or affection when I was at school, um, that just didn't exist. You toughened up pretty fast. Um, I, a, It's more of an emotional feeling than trying to remember it. I still am very much in touch with my school friends because we supported each other. We became family. I mean, there were girls who didn't go home for more than very long times. They came from the forces so their parents um, sent them to England to school and they, they were didn't go home for months and months so and we were very young some of us I did know I would never send mine away to school and that was the end of it it was something I wanted to be in control of I think education in the school wasn't very good um some people did very well out of it. I was bored. I I had energy and education was not something I was particularly wanting to get involved in. So when I left school, or I suppose, no, when I became a parent, I was very conscious that I was going to have a hold on education. And whatever capabilities my children were going to be whether they're going to be clever or not or whatever they were going to be I was going to be in control that they would get the best surrounded by love enormous affection and love because that makes a big difference because if you're not I think I was almost pushing away because I was almost screaming inside because there was I didn't get any much attention because you had to be one of the better ones and then the staff would be putting you in the team or in the play or whatever it was. And I just was mucking around at the back of the classroom because I could. And the more you mucked around and the more you got forgotten, the more you got dismissed. Um, So, yeah, I was very aware And of course my parents, having had the same sort of education, it was just, well, that's all there is. So you, you know, I know you may be homesick, but you're just gonna have to get on with it. There are no other options.
0: So it wasn't like I... When you think about it, sorry to interrupt you, but when you you think about it now, the idea of sending your child off for three years, you know, with brief holidays at home with the family, it seems very hard to understand now for us as parents right because we work so hard day in day out Mm. to form these little people into the kinds of you know happy healthy adults we want them to be or to nurture that or you know maybe we we operate under a false pretense that we're forming it but either way you know we like to think we have some bit of control and to have your child off for three four more years um, where you have no idea what's happening, what no. they're thinking or feeling. And back then you didn't have cell phones or FaceTime, so you were really cut no. off from your parents. And in those moments, do you recall any of the thoughts or feelings you were having as a child trying to make sense of that and what you may have concluded?
1: Well, I remember knowing that was all there was. It was just, let's get through this and leave school, Um there was no real feeling of i can get away or change it or go to another school you just had to get on with it and and hope that next term would be better um you know you waited for those letters you we got letters at you know in the morning there was one post uh, you were allowed to make one phone call home at about 7 minutes i think we were timed um at the weekend and then you're putting money into the the machine um, or reversing the charges and then your father will be after a bit saying oh, I think this is going to cost rather a lot I think we've said everything we need to say so you never had the the general chit chat that you can now with your on family whatsapps or zooms or you know phone calls are very cheap whereas then they were expensive so you 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 were very aware that every second counts going home in the holidays of course you're going home to escape so you're you're family didn't see any of your problems you were going through or what was going on unless you got a letter with came home with a report to say that you know you need to address this situation Um, so you go home and have a good time but your parents didn't know if you were having problems with other girls or um, you had uh, issues with anything or you were doing particularly well or anything you just got a school report and they were very short in those days so they didn't actually know what was going on. i certainly i in many respects i feel i feel i left home at 11 and got on with the start of my life which seems so young now but i suppose that sort of moulded me in a way and you i i am in some respects very strong and became very independent very very quickly when i look at how my girls you know sort of Certainly, was weren't as independent as I was because I sort of had to get on with it, and it did affect how my I brought my children up. I wanted them to stay at home. I wanted I think controls the wrong word. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to be much more involved with their social side, their emotional side. Um, more, I mean, academically, I was quite lucky. Both my girls. Worked hard and did very well, so I was very lucky. But, um, you know, there's other issues with growing up, and you know, you want to keep your children safe. But I wanted to be more involved with their lives much more than I felt anyone was involved with mine. I did feel I missed out a little bit on that, and that was important. And as a friend of mine told me about me, which I was very unaware of until about a few days ago she thought I as a mother was much more in control, not controlling, that's really the wrong word, Um, much more wanting to be in tune with their education and, and really very on top of the situation all the time, much more than other parents who say, feel that it just would happen, whatever. If some parents, um, thought their children were bright enough and they were happy enough. They just let it go. But I was very much more on top of the situation than a lot of parents. And probably that is a reflection on things not working out. And I, do, I take the blame. Maybe I was lazy, naughty, whatever. But I also think if there were more adults around me to have... Um, say hey hang on come on go and do your homework properly or stop mucking around or um you can do better than that we've got faith in you you can do better try a bit harder maybe things would have been different I'm not blaming the system my parents particularly it's just how it it, just how it was at the time and I've I've moved on from that but it did definitely make um I was very very on top of their education and their upbringing in that respect I think
0: I have two thoughts about that one I'm always so curious when kids are led to believe that they're bad or lazy um because that's of course not my experience with you as an adult friend of mine um but even back then you mentioned a few times that you were often getting into trouble or you were thought to be lazy or a bad child do you remember any of that and the sorts of things that happened and what you were thinking in those moments
1: um (laughs) right well um I remember just having a lot of energy and if someone would come along and say look we're gonna go and have fun and do this I was I didn't care if it was the wrong or the bad thing I just thought this is fun I've got energy I want to get involved I want to belong I want to be part of a of the fun group um and I'm having fun and I want to belong I want to I got so used to being told off. After a bit, it didn't make any difference. Um, there were certain ways the nuns used to deal with us. And at the beginning, you know, standing in a corridor at midnight when it was a, a Jacobean building. So it was very, very old and creaky. Standing on corridors um, with all the lights off. And, of course, we told ghost stories and being absolutely petrified when you're 11 doing that, it was horrible just because you were caught talking after lights out um by the time I was 16 or so I didn't I didn't care at all I mean it was just like here we go again you know really um I mean they were not nice they blackmailed me sometimes the nuns and you you just got used to that way of life
0: horrible. It's really, it's, it's, it's preposterous <laughs> to think of nowadays, you know, now, I mean, the other yeah. side would prevail, the legal arm would come slapping down, but, um, <laughs> you know, that kind of abuse is, uh, you know, it's amazing to hear about. Um, and then to see you always someone I've known to be so sunny and optimistic and, you know, curious and interested and, you know, very mentally healthy. You um, have always struck me as someone who has a really great ability to sort of know yourself and course correct when needed. Um, So how Mm. do you square that with this childhood in a boarding school that seems like it was a little bit uh, unfriendly and 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 lacking in warmth and support or nurturing?
1: Um, I was I'm a strong person. Um, Some people didn't do as well. Some people did come out and didn't do as well. And it did affect their adult life in a different way. I, I am, I think I'm just strong and I survived. I was also did have a very good group of friends and we pulled each other through and that made a difference. Um, and somehow I came out, I was just relieved when I left and I got and it was a feeling of right, let's get on with my life now. You know, I've done that. I don't need to do anything like that again it's now my choice, what I do with my life and, and things just start. My life started then, I suppose. Um, yeah.
0: So let's talk then about one of the things that impresses me about you is how you managed to walk this line between being your two daughters, mother and being a confident. Um, and I'm often curious about, um, women who choose to be their daughter's best friends Um, you know, or who seem excited about that. And I can't say that I'm necessarily a fan of that perspective. I think that a mother's role is, you know, complicated and we do Mm. want that intimacy and closeness and, and, uh, sort of friend like energy, but we also really have to remember, I think that we are the mother, um, and that that role is a responsibility, but you strike me as someone who's Mm. very close with your daughters in a healthy way. So I, I'm wondering if you can share some insights into how you achieved that and what choices you made along um,
1: the way. I think it's very important. I believe that I'm not going to be my daughter's friend. I'm not their friend. I'm their mother. And they only have one mother and that's me. I mean, we're not talking about fathers. You know, there's a father and if and they were talking. I'm talking right now about me. Um, and Just because I'm their mother doesn't mean I can't be friendly. Um, And yes, now we're very close. I've always tried to be close. You know, of course, it's, you know, teenagers, that's another issue. Toddlers, you're their mother. And you're the only one who loves them as much as a mother can. And, but you can be friendly and you can talk to them and converse and give them advice and listen. I mean, never underestimate listening. And listening doesn't always mean talking um, and trying to to work out what they need at that time. I mean, it's, it's well known, you know, you, a child asks a question, a teenager, a young adult asks a question. You give them what they need at that time and hope that that's enough. But yes, I'm their mother. I'm not their best friend. I'm not going to be their best friend. They have friends but I'm their mother and I'm as friendly as I can be. And we are close now. Yeah, I would say we're close now, but they're young adults and they're on their own in a way, but they still come to me. I mean, if they're in trouble, if they're not in trouble, but if they have an issue or something, you know, I'll get one of the, probably the first phone call um, and just talk. Sometimes you just listen. You don't need to talk, you just listen and, and help point them in the right direction.
0: Thinking back on the childhood of your children, can you remember particular moments where you had a difficult decision to make mm-hmm. about a rearing, child rearing choice or direction to go? Times that you made a really great decision and you knew it in the moment or times where you really struggled with what to do?
1: Um Well, there was always a few, I suppose. Uh, Changing schools, I think that was quite a big one. We had to change their schools in the middle of term once. Um, We had, my eldest one had some bullying problems and we didn't even know that they were there. She just came home crying every night for months and months and we didn't know what, I just thought she was tired. She's uh, one of the youngest in the year and... um, it wasn't until we went to a, a dinner party, and there was a, I think it was a child psychologist or something, I can't remember, and we had to apologize for being late, and she said, why are you late? And I just said, well, my daughter comes home, she just cries for two or three hours every night, and I, I've tried everything, feeding her, not feeding her, loving her, not loving her, you know, bath early, bed early, whatever, and she just said, well, if your child cries for half an hour after school, that's fine, any more than about an hour, and there's a Problem. Something's going on, and you need to find out. And that was when we went rushing home and had to sit a seven-year-old down and work out why she was crying without her knowing what was going on. And then we had to make a big decision about changing schools. Changing first, we worked with a school, but it didn't really help. Um, and then that was quite big because it was a very different sort of school. And was this the right decision? And um are we sort of jumping from the frying pan into the fire and then Lucy, my youngest she was at the school do we move her do we do you know and that that at the time felt pretty major it was absolutely the right decision but it was quite scary um anyone who knows they've had to jump ship from a school right in the middle of term because you suddenly realized the school wasn't helping and my daughter was just was being seriously bullied as a seven, as much as a seven-year-old Cammy, but it was affecting her because she thought she was with friends who were her friends. And then we had to, we worked out, no, they're not your friends. um, And this isn't on. So we, yeah, that would that felt like a very big decision at the time.
0: Mm, yeah. I can't imagine, especially at that age when she's maybe not able to articulate. Um, but I, I like the idea of really, Trusting um, your child—that you know, understanding that this isn't manipulation, this crying isn't attention-seeking. This is, you know, serious organic stuff that needs heating. And um, you know, I think listening to your child is such an important thing. Um, mm. And then showing your child that you can advocate for them is huge. Right?
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was like like you say, at seven, she didn't understand what was going on, so we had to draw out of her it was a conversation sort of getting her very comfortable sitting on the floor and and sit for an hour and a half and draw out of her what exactly was going on and without upsetting her or letting her know that we realized it was a problem um yeah that was quite hard that was a that was a big learning curve because then it was then you, you we really learned to always listen and also you, you spot when things change or something goes wrong. You can then see, hang on, this is out of sync. This is not normal. Something's going on. Um, something's bothering her. And so you really do. And then I suddenly realized how important it was to listen to your child. And like they say, it doesn't mean you're listening to their conversation. You're listening sometimes to silence. They're, you're observing them um and you just get to know your child very well uh that was pretty major and then of course there was always the falling out with you know friends at school and things and there's not a huge amount you can do except teach them to be kind and nice and hopefully they're not the ones that are being nasty to someone else um but yeah, that's part of life as well.
0: I love the idea, and, I, and I'd like to hear more about this, um, of sort of gently giving an hour and a half, it was probably even more than that, time to gently draw out was how you said it. And I think often parents don't realize the impact of words. And just because the child experienced it doesn't mean you need to... Um, punch the child in the face with verbal descriptions or requests for information that might be difficult for them to access. So I'm picturing you um, and Ashley sitting there um, helping with sort of questions around, circling around without sort of knowing how to or wanting to exacerbate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a skill that a lot of parents could benefit from is that the words matter and forcing the child to state some painful thing or to, you know, or to catastrophize with them or to make them worry about something they maybe hadn't previously worried about um, is a real skill. And how do you help them without, you know, sort of coming in head on at the thing, if you know, the thing might be
1: happening. Um, So I I love that idea. Yeah. Now that was quite hard. That, I gave, had to give it a lot of thought. I mean, it's quite a long, gosh, nearly 20 years ago. I had to, I remember sitting down with a pad of paper and pencil on one side and she was on the other side and just literally having to sort of start with the beginning of the day and who you're playing with and how do you play and which part of the game are you and what do people say to you and how did you feel when they said that? It took a long time at age seven because, of course, you don't you don't want to start saying to a child, "Well, you know, we're talking about bullying or using words that in any way would have freaked her out." You had to find it on her terms, absolutely see it through her eyes, because of course I was freaking out. I was the parent, and I was ready to go with my boxing gloves and punch the lights out of, of what the teachers that I hadn't noticed the children. But it wasn't the way, and I had to just first of all, and it took a long time to draw, draw out of her, because of course she thought they were friends, and they weren't. They were. There was a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah, as I said, it's a long time ago now, but it was it was certainly a learning curve, and we had to tread very very gently to find not to. She had to go back to school the next day and it took us a while to find a school and change and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It was
0: There's a fine line between um, you know, being your child's advocate and being your child's fixer. And um mm. I have a, a friend who often cites the play playground rules or the sandbox rules. You know, basically she says in, you know, in her mind, you should let the kids sort things out themselves. And I think to some extent, that's true. That's where really important developmental work happens. But, um, you know, in this case, it's very clear that from what you're saying, she didn't know she was being bullied, really, or she didn't have words for it. Thankfully, I'm, I'm concerned nowadays that kids have quick quick access to so many really um, dark words that they're being trained to prepare for all these horrible eventualities Mm -hmm. that it's really clouding their ability to be innocent, happy children to some extent. Um, But in this case, so the word bully wasn't on the table, you had to figure it out slowly and carefully. Um, and, And I do love that you came to her defense in that way because she didn't know how to help herself, nor could she. It's different from when you get in a squabble with a friend on the playground. Um, But this is something bigger.
1: Yes, this was. um, And I suppose in a way it was quite good. She was so young and she just very innocently, we worked out what was going on. And I suppose today children would know, have all the words and the information in front of them. I don't know. So it was done sort of absolutely in black and white. This is wrong. This isn't meant to happen. And... um, i know when she went to her new school and the little girl who was asked to look after her was her best friend throughout the whole school life and once they met they were just joint at the hip and just very very happy and to see your daughter with a real friend for the first time when she was 7 or you yeah, know 7 was just wonderful because that's all you want is is she was suddenly she she was had this happiness she was she was in love i suppose and she had an equal and that was lovely to see um and it was a it was good but yes like you say uh, playing the sand you say the sandbox yeah it's very important It's, it's a reflection on life and they do children need to be in the playground you you observe them in the playground and it is like there's always the strong ones the weak ones the bossy ones They reenact what they've seen adults doing all the time. They deal with their emotions, their fears. So there is, yes, of course, playing is very, I'm a great advocate for playing and playing and just being left alone to play. I mean, we used to um, put ours in the garden and just give them, They never were into dolls. I was always into dolls. So I never understood why they couldn't be into dolls and prams. They wanted to make dens the whole time. They wanted to build forts. (laughs) They did. So our garden in the summer was permanently covered in sheets and blankets and rugs and things to hold up. Um, And which was quite nice because actually you could then very quietly listen in on conversations because they didn't know they could hear because they were in their dens. I love that. That's great. But play yeah, but playing is is such a a great is one of the most important child development times, I think.
0: Yeah, and and people who know me are sick of hearing this, but I'm I'm just so sad about how so many kids nowadays have devices permanently in their hands and their faces are, you know, in front of screens and they're little oh, names I hate it i hate it realities and yeah it's really it's so sad and those
1: of us who, yeah they well i mean i was only we lived near a very big park in london and um uh, it's fairly middle class area has to be said and you see these children they're in their little buggies Ugh, they probably haven't even started school and they're holding a phone probably a phone much smarter than mine and they're watching things. And you think, hang on, hang on, you're in this park. The trees are all changing color. There's so many different trees. I remember being taken, dragged around the woods um, that we live near and understanding how the different barks work and the, the, the leaves, all the different shapes of leaves. And we've got squirrels, we've got all the birds nesting at the moment. Uh, we've got swans um, with all their cygnets, the seven cygnets in the park. And these children are on these phones looking at cartoons i mean you know we're going to have so many problems with 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 um, mental illnesses the parents are they're on the phone okay maybe they're working but if you're going to take a child to a park take the airpods out talk to them it doesn't have to be intellectual conversations about stuff it's just chunter you know just as you would with anyone um, and I just think we are heading, and of course they don't want to, you know, they don't, they're don't. they not allowed to run wild, so they're not doing as much exercise as possibly we did. They're very overprotected. Um, and I just think it's, uh, I think we're heading for a catastrophe. Yeah. If all these children are just sitting on, you know, and you can be sitting having a coffee with your, your child and they've got their phone in their hand, you don't know if they're, being bullied on the phone and you're standing right next to them or what are they watching children will know how to hide i think also this is a generation if you're looking at young parents now let's say early 40s late 30s they didn't really grow up with with this stuff so why are they letting their children have it um i think i think we're heading for i think It worries me. It worries me a lot. And maybe the next generation might be better because they've grown up with them and they may see the damage and therefore they may take the phones and the devices away from their children. I don't know, but I... That's
0: the hope. But the problem is that that brain wiring becomes a thing and then you don't know how to live without it and you don't know how to use your imagination and you don't know how to be bored and you don't know how to do any of the things that we were so lucky to have access to. You know, when you talk about... The miracle of a forest and the joy of the seasons and the you know the magnificence of nature these are very exciting things to Mm. you and i and people who grew up you know valuing this but i think you take a kid who's used to having the frenetic pace of fast colors and wild animation and an entire Mm. world an entire universe coming at them uh, in the palm of their hands you take them out into nature now i think it's a really tough sell because i think kids Brains have become rewired and they're not able or comfortable with the quiet stillness or the thoughtful observation or the subtle changes, right? It's just, yeah, it's a brain wiring problem.
1: Yeah, no, I think it is. And I think it's, I think, I think apart from all the other problems in the world, I think it's a very major problem um, that we're heading for. Um, I mean, when I think back to my childhood, my mother used to just say, right. You've had your breakfast, open the door, off you go, go and play. And we used to run down the garden, open the gate, and there was a big woods, which was the very edge of Sherwood Forest. And we just used to go and play in there, no supervision. Um, we used to spy on people. <laughs> we used to muck around with the other children on, on the road. Nobody knew what we were doing. It <laughs> fairly dangerous. But we just used the woods. We made dens. We climbed trees. We, we were very aware of the seasons. Um, and then when there was a big bell would ring and we all knew we had to run home for tea because that was the only way my mother could communicate with us. There were no phones. It was just this massive bell. Um, and I do sort of think it's, it's a bit worrying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is. So with that in mind, what are a few things that we can share with parents listening that can give them some hope and inspiration so maybe something you learned as a Montessori teacher maybe some of the foundational thinking and um, how you worked with kids there that applies still to parents who are curious about helping raise their child in a healthy mental space
1: um certainly technology is something that we need to look into take away look into very much um I think children don't need expensive toys. Um, we, Mother Nature offers the best toys of the world. It, you know, trees, grass, sand, water. She offers the best toys. As long as they can be creative um, and reenact, well, whatever you know, some children like it, Dens reenact there what they've seen in the world. Um, I think. Yeah, I think those are the two things would be take a look back and see how other children are brought at different generations, maybe, but mostly just that technology thing is, is, and I think a lot of parents are very hooked up on, on maybe I just live in this particular area, too hooked up on my child is my conversation piece at a dinner party, and they use it too much, they have to be in the right school, which probably isn't the right school for that particular child, maybe. Um, Yeah, that's very vague, isn't it?
0: (laughs) No, no, that's not very vague at all. I think what you're saying is really important, and that is that um, when your relationship with your child is a little off kilter, that might be represented by you um, not knowing your child, not hearing your child, not being curious about your child, but having too much ego invested in your child's success and, Mm. you know, a certain kind of success. Because, you know, the quiet life of being a parent, raising a a child isn't always worth talking about at a dinner party. But when your (laughs) child wins awards or goes to a great school or does these things, then it's easier, right? It's really, yes. I sat home with my kid today and we (laughs) reorganized a cupboard. It was really exciting. (laughs) Actually
1: be wonderful, <laughs> but yeah, I th- I think um, and parenting is is, it's fun. It's you know, it's I think for me it was just the most important job I've ever done. It's been the best job I've ever done. I loved every minute of it. Um, it wasn't anything I didn't. I never thought about being a parent. It wasn't something I particularly knew I wanted. It was suddenly, well, let's try for a family. And it happened very quickly. So I had the nine months to think about it. Um, I've loved I've loved every minute of it, even the hard bits. Um, you know, but I think at the end of the day, if your children leave home, they're independent and they're happy, then you've done a good job. I like I don't that think thought Yeah, I don't think you... And they still come home. They do still come home and visit. And that's also quite good to know. (laughs) Okay.
0: Yeah, you've done a great job. And it doesn't hurt that you're also
1: a fabulous cook. (laughs) Yes, no, I used to do a lot of cookery lessons and (laughs) a different level. But yes, my children now, they under, and not only that, they understand nutrition, which I think that's another whole thing children need to eat very well to grow. And so my children, I think they would argue that they probably got a little bit too much of that um, when they used to go to school and handmade bread with handmade rose vegetable sandwiches and homemade muesli bars. And they used to be so embarrassed because they wanted to have all the packet stuff the other children have. And then it went very quiet. And I thought, oh, this is great. It's working. They're actually eating. Until a child came up to me and said, Mrs. S, could you make more of those particular sandwiches? And I suddenly realized that my children were actually swapping their lunches. All their the other children in the class. They
0: appreciate it because they're friends They did. Had good food. Yeah.
1: So the other classmates were very, very well, um, you know, eating very, very well and enjoyed it. So it's always been a bit of a joke. My bread that just fell apart. But it was filling and nutritious. (laughs) I can picture that bread very well.
0: I was raised the same way and know, I remember the, the time I went to We had nothing in the house that you could just sort of open a cupboard and eat. It all required constructing or cooking or preparing. Yeah. It was all in burlap sacks and nothing was colorfully labeled. Um, and I remember the first time I went to a friend's house and they had bako bits, which is like this uh, artificial, salty, fake bacon in a jar. And they put it over a, a salad. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is amazing stuff. <laughs> bacon bits. You can eat the bacon." Bake- from a jar and it's so crunchy and yummy and yeah but i think the the point about the good nutrition and making food a central part of the family activity is a really important life lesson that you know food can be such a, an important part of healthy living and to have traditions around cooking and to put the kids to work in the kitchen. And, yeah. you know, the, the sort of self-actualization that comes from knowing you can open a cupboard and make yourself something to eat and you won't starve yeah. because you have these skills and you enjoy it. Um, there's a lot to that. It's it's not just a chore it for is. the mother. It's an important family activity.
1: It's very important. And that also is also the whole thing of eating together regularly phones are left up you know in another room and you sit and you eat and you have these meals you know hopefully minimum of once a day if you can it's difficult when everyone's working um but you just sometimes you just talk you just talk about anything but that's also very important for for family life um you might not say very much for days and days but Doing it is is a habit that is very important for them. Um, Hopefully for when they bring up their children. Um, I think too many families just don't eat together. And I think that's something that's also something people, if they could even just eat a meal once a day together, that would help a lot of problems. You just sit and listen uh, to people's day, how it's been, and you can learn a lot from that as well.
0: Yeah. I like that image having eaten in your kitchen. I especially like the thought of eating in that kitchen. <laughs> All the great things I've eaten there. Okay, well, thank you so much. This has been very interesting and enlightening, and just um, reaffirmed everything I thought and felt about you as a fabulous mother, teacher, liver of life.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you. It's been my pleasure. It's been very my pleasure. Well,
0: thank you, Joe. Take care. We'll talk
1: soon. Okay. Okay. bye -bye. Bye.
0: This has been another episode of A Really Good Enough Parent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd leave me a rating or subscribe. Subscribing helps boost my ratings and rating me obviously helps boost my ratings, but only if you liked what you heard. But apropos of that, whether or not you do or don't like this, I really do like feedback. So please drop me a line if you'd like. Let me know if there's someone you want me to interview or a certain topic you'd like me to tackle. You can find out more about A Really Good Enough Parent podcast on the Pono Roots website at ponoroots.org. That's p-o-n-o-r-o-o-t-s.org. Pono Roots is a nonprofit program. And if you wish to support our work, donations are always welcome. And with that, I'll leave you a quote from Carl Jung and something that my children remind me of every day. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. George loves Detroit.